0: The the municipals uh, for the second ever episode. I'm Matthew. I'm Philip, and we are pleased, privileged, and honored today to be joined by Chloe Brown, who ran for mayor in the uh, election. So, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Pleased to be here.
0: (laughs) Second time is a charm. uh, uh, But uh, we'll uh, we we, got it. We'll get this. We'll get this done, Um, Chloe right off the yeah. bat you know I, I gotta ask your di- your dialogue for the debates did you prepare anything or did you was it off the cuff because I, I, um the reason I love debates specifically whether it's you know municipal federal provincial even American politics it's so entertaining I I, I gotta ask uh, <laughs> uh, what what was that like for you?
1: Um, it was really off the cuff. I just brought the dinner table to the platform. Um, and that's the thing people are asking, like, what is the secret? How were you able to spend so little money? And it's like, well, I speak like working class people. I relate to the audience that you're failing to represent. It's not rocket science. (laughs) You know what I mean? And yeah, there were things that I said, like rocket surgery, which was a shout out to, like, my friends. We we were in college watching Trailer Park Boys, and yeah, those are my group of millennials that I spoke to. I just try to be regular, you know what I mean? And I think people just gravitate to that. Politicians are so groomed to be salespeople, and we're so tired of being sold things. <laughs> so, yeah, I... I I didn't do anything great. I just, you know,
2: spoke like There's I There's a certain way. <laughs> There's a certain way politicians talk, where it's like they could be saying so many words, but it they're not really saying anything at all. So it's always nice to have, you know, people running who are just willing to say what they want to say instead of it's like I don't know. You go round and round, and I don't know. Politicians are very long in the tooth.
0: Like when you said you all you've done is sit there and collect dust or something like that. That was great.
2: <laughs> well, this I is just a thing. fucking mayor.
1: Well, and that's the thing. Like politics should be used to bring stories to the forefront, the same way journalism does. The image of John Tory collecting dust is something we can all resonate with. You know, like something archaic and old library where the old librarians blocking you from the. A, the dangerous books, which are just different ideas. And that's what I just really wanted to do. I just wanted to make it fun because a lot of us as working class people have real talk, which is like, yeah, throw all the euphemisms out the doors, no more sugarcoating, like what is happening? And I think elitism really insulates people like John Tory, Doug Ford, and the rest of our leaders from real conversations. They don't hear bad news or get confronted with the realities of like mental illness and addiction on the street, the way that we do. And to be honest, I think I was really nice to John. I could have said worse things. And that was one of the fun things about running. I had nothing to lose. John had everything to lose. He's put his entire career. And if I have to be honest, At 32, John has spent my entire lifetime building up this empire so that he could ignore people like me. John's been on radio, TV. He's had like so many opportunities to engage the public since I've been born, and it's worked in his favor. So, congratulations to him. But it's like, I'm the new generation. I might write terribly about you. History may not remember you favorably by the time I'm done with it. So, you know, like, he got a little spanking and I hope that he's learning from it, but he clearly hasn't from what I've seen in the news. So now
0: that the election's over and you're uh, free to comment on whatever you like, and you can stop me if you don't want to comment, but I have to ask, um, what do you think about uh, Reginald Tall storming the stage?
1: I don't know, I'm not really moved by it. I used to work at government nightclub as a security (laughs) guard, Um, disruptions (laughs) and rowdiness is a part of growing up in Toronto, you know what I mean? And being from like a security background, I've dealt with people disrupting events. I've dealt with homeless people like disrupting my workday because I'm kicking them out of the bank from where they're sleeping. I treat all those situations the same and you know, john's pretty lucky it could have turned out to be something else he's lucky that reginald is who he is and just yelled you know what i mean because downstairs there was a lot more drama going on and luckily security stopped it so it's just another day in toronto
0: (laughs) And, and you know i didn't realize until i was already in north carolina that uh you're from rexdale so we have that in common i don't know if i ever told you yeah I, i'm yeah. i'm not i'm not born but i'm bred in rexdale i was born in region park but we moved mm-hmm. to rexdale when i was four and i mean i i grew up there i love rexdale it's uh, it's, it's my home now we moved back here and uh mm-hmm. i am never gonna leave if i don't have to
1: and that's the thing like if you grew up outside of the Downtown core conversations run differently, and I think that's something that a lot of mayoral candidates will need to get better at. Like, yeah, I can talk to the downtown core issues, which are like bike lanes and parks, but when you get outside the core, people want policing and they don't want policing in North Toronto. You know what I mean? It's a safety issue and it's an operation issue, and Mm -hmm. I feel like other candidates failed to address those things, and that's why I was able to come third because. Some of the other candidates just came with a wish list of wanting housing, less police, et cetera, but you need to be able to talk to the trade-off. And I feel that a lot of politics lacks that ability to contextualize, like, yeah, we can give you this, but you'll have to give up that. So, yeah, it's at the expense of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, at the expense of. And that's what's missing from the real talk that's should be happening in government and politics because yeah, look at what's happening to John. That promise of low taxes is coming to bite him in the ass.
0: So now that uh now that we have uh you know we have the new council now and uh I don't know if uh either of you had a chance to watch I'm still working my way through it but watch the 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 the
2: first council meeting um I, I did want to bring up that that vote on the um just a discussion of Bill Twenty Three. It was mean, a thirteen mean, twelve vote. You mean
0: thirty nine? Thirty nine. They were discussing Bill Twenty Three, and then they mentioned thirty nine, and then uh, they got oh, shut yeah. down. You're, yeah. yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. My bad. They should they should give these bills better names, more fun names. I mean, I think they do have fun <laughs> names, but I don't. But yeah, the um the thirteen twelve split vote that came down to. I mean, the reason why people are coming down on her is because. Uh, you know, no one would have thought she would have voted this way. Diane Sachs uh, voting to not have the conversation about Bill 39. Yeah. Um, really fucking throwing I know me for a loop. I know there are some people who are like, you know, we paid attention to her vote compass answers. Uh, if you were watching that stuff, you should have seen this coming. But no, I was I was caught off guard personally. I mean, um, really, I don't know. I, It's a disappointing we'll situation see- where it feels like the city is cow-cowing to the premier. I mean, it feels like John Tory always does, but.
1: Well, the only way I can describe what Doug Ford is, is using Simpsons references. So Doug Ford is like Fat Tony meets Mayor Quimby meets um, the monorail guy. And this <laughs> is where- true. Oh my God. Well, this is the thing, like he sell. he's really good at selling these one-off ideas and once we get wise to them and we want our money back, he becomes Fat Tony and he's gonna break your legs. But he gives us this facade of being think, Mayor Quimby.
2: Um, <laughs> Not that Mayor Quimby is someone that we should uh, aspire to. You know, I, I do feel like John Tory has this very, this very public persona of like kindness and gentleness. But when you actually listen to him, like in the council chambers, that dude goes off. Like not in a fun, you know, fun way. Like he just fucking tells. You know, I, I was
0: impressed with uh, James Pasternak, even though, you know, I didn't uh, endorse him. I was really Im- impressed with him. He 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 flat out, or was it him or, or Mike Cole? I can't remember. It was one of them. They were like, why do we have a planning committee? Uh, Chloe, as, as a policy yeah. analyst, I got to ask you the, um, the part about, sorry if you guys can hear that that's just my washer and dryer going off um the part about section 111 being in in jeopardy because of bill 23 uh, i was wondering uh for the listeners chloe if you could speak to that and and um any any insight you can give
1: are we talking about tenant protections yes okay so this is where i get frustrated with the municipal level because this is where service becomes an issue. So if the city of Toronto was serious about protecting tenants, they would broaden rent safe so that all tenants could register and be like, where council has power, but doesn't use it. Because Doug Ford is one guy. If council wanted to mobilize the people who elected them, they could potentially mobilize 3 million people against the premier, but that's a choice. And without political courage, things don't move. So it's not like we can't have tenant protections where the city of Toronto sets up let's say the rent safes program where they legalize and license rooming houses, they legalize and license landlords. They are investing that money into producing social housing. They're using the gardener fund to leverage money towards building housing to create more tax revenue because people have shelter. Like there are little things that can happen on the municipal level that could protect us from the province, because the truth is Doug, isn't that fast. And he can't watch 444 municipalities. So if the city council wanted to protect us, they could be sneaking in these little policy changes that build up a system of protections, but that requires imagination. Sort of enshrined it within the city. Yes. And that's the thing. It's policy is fluid in the way that yes, we're creatures of the province, but it's going to require the province read through all our filibusters And this is where we could be using filibusters the way that the parliamentarians use them. Yeah, like create a huge housing bill, throw tons of stuff in there, use euphemisms, give it to Doug to read, set a timeline. I'm I'm being very serious because it's like he's either going to have to get his staff to do it or he's going to have to read it himself.
0: You not know, uh, Chloe. I don't know if you had a chance to watch last <laughs> last week's episode, but I was telling Phil, I'm like, I'm converted now. You know, there was there was a time where I supported Doug Ford, but I absolutely I cannot support any decision he's made. You know, uh, even if we set aside his first four years, really? ever since the election in June, every single thing he's 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 not the Ford brother he used to be. He's definitely not Rob. Um, and
1: yeah. uh, but well, anyway.
0: Sorry, go ahead. Go ahead.
1: Well, this is where, and I, this is just like a hypothesis of mine, but you need to treat Doug like a hustler. Like Doug has a history as a hustler. And right now the product is land. You see who he's selling the land to? If you wanted to really like attack this in a mobilization way, treat this like you're running drug dealers out of your neighborhood. Oh, I'm I'm being very serious, like we know the territory that we are trying to defend. If you make that territory unusable to the people who use it to push their product, then what are they going to do? And this is where city councils should be mobilizing their voters, because if six million of us show up to different development lands that he's designated and make it undevelopable, undevelopable. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> But you get what I'm saying. It's it's about cutting off the supply and the commodity. And there's only so much of it that he can control in a city where all of us would be watching and waiting for him to do the next move. And this is where um, I've kind of evolved my whole approach to this, where people are like, oh, the game is chess, not checkers. And it's like, no, it's risk. You really have to be looking at the whole board and thinking about the days ahead instead of just... You know, we're going to do this one time protest or we're going to do this one time petition. No, the time to actually engage in strategy and, you know, leverage our political capital as residents and citizens is now. And that means like, you know, showing up at their office, showing up at their favorite coffee shop, restaurant, make them stay at home until the work gets done, because that's exactly what they do to us you know what i mean it's mm-hmm. a lot of us don't think about after the election but in this particular time with Doug Ford and the PC MPPs why not force them to cross the floor there's only so many of them and all we really need is about like 20 40 of them to move as independents we can you know, force liberals, NDPs to sit as independents and actually move policy with a majority.
0: Well, it's funny you should mention that because uh, again, Phil and I were talking about this last week <laughs> and- uh, Majority I, governments. I, I said to him that the, the big part, the big problem in government, both provincial and um, federal is, is the parties because they get donations, huge donations from rich people. And then when they get elected- they they come and knock and say hey hey remember me i I would love honestly i know it's probably never going to happen but i would love honestly for um the provincial and federal everyone is an independent Mm
2: -hmm.
0: because you might get more work
2: done it is it's it's the main reason i like municipal politics as it is right now which does seem like i'm about to contradict myself when i talk about the idea of um you know like they have in vancouver the the municipal parties there but they're they're different than than our traditional like provincial and federal parties yeah sorry i i realized i'm i haven't i didn't come into this with a thought except that i like Mm -hmm. i like the idea of a municipal party only in in the idea of like a slate of candidates who have a similar policy obviously individual wards would have you know more Mm -hmm. specific targeted things but uh, like a whole like like Adam's um, Adam Golding, um, the Municipal Socialist Alliance like that, where they had a slate of candidates. I'd like to I feel like it'd be fun to do something like that. I, I feel like I specifically bring that up while you're here, Chloe, because I think you're brilliant. And uh, I think if anyone's going to talk to anyone for a policy plan, it should be you. Uh, again, I'm not I don't have a strict thought here except rambling. Just throwing no, no, a no. thought out there.
1: It's a good thought because it's easier to organize ideas if they're grouped, you know what I mean? And that's one of the, it's one of those things about the way our politics is modeled. It's like sports teams where it's like, if I see red, I think liberal. If I think blue, I think conservative. And that's how we've come to identify where we are. Are you a red Tory, a blue Tory? And unfortunately that has diluted the complexity of our political discourse because you can't even say things like socialist without people being like oh you're turning us into venezuela and it's like well if you want to be honest compared to america we are the socialist republic of canada so this is where language and discourse on the local level is important and i can see how municipal parties could help that forward because on the local level we practice all a bunch of different styles of politics, capitalist, socialist, communism, and we don't really think about it because we call them co-ops or we call it Ontario Health Insurance Plan. You know what I mean? That's a socialist approach. But the reason why we can't identify with them is because we only see them on the provincial and federal level. And we have that history of McCarthyism. So it's like, if we did want to revive people's participation in political, like, participation, I think parties would be the easiest way to go. Because it's easy for me to understand like, oh, NDP means working class, I'm probably going to vote for working class candidates, which did happen in this municipal election, when you think about like, who got supported from above.
2: <laughs> yeah, no. I, I feel like I had a bit of a personal grudge against, I, it, it probably sounds more like a gripe, but it's like I I saw the NDP support uh, Kevin Rupasing. Nothing wrong with Kevin. Kevin is a great guy. But it, it bothered me when they were saying things like, "Oh, well, he's going to be a good advocate for lower income people." It's like, but he's not a lower income person. Mm. W- why would that make him a good advocate for me? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it's no, it's a valid point. I, know. I, yes. I had my own personal gripes that weren't. No, no,
1: like, it's a valid point, because look at how Kirsty got pulled up to the province and a few other of the sitting NDP candidates. It's kind yeah. of a, it's a fallacy for us to continue to be like, yeah, there's no parties on the municipal level. I've fully seen them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And this is where our whole culture as Canadians, as political agents, in a democracy kind of needs to be confronted because it's like, do you see yourself as politically active? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like we're all active in some other faucet of our life, but like, we're not politically active citizens. We do our due diligence every four years. We're like, we are, um, we're very orthodox. If you know what I mean, like that adherence to the word of politics versus the practice, we're like Catholics that go on Christmas and Easter, only major holidays.
0: <laughs> and uh, okay, so getting back to uh, the 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 council meeting, uh, I don't know if you guys yeah. know. Uh, I guess last term they had like three deputy mayors. I guess they're keeping it to one this this term, and it's Jennifer McKelvey. Was oh, it just down to one? Yeah, it's
2: Because I, I feel like I saw somewhere. Uh, no, he's not. Sorry. I forgot that Denzel Minen Wong isn't back. What up? Anyways. Uh, <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. So I guess it might just be down to one deputy mayor. I
0: And one deputy mayor, J- Jennifer McKelvey. She made a motion uh, near the beginning to remove James Pasternak from the uh, Toronto Senior Housing Corporation Board of Directors and replace him with. Tory's boy, Vincent Crisanti, my Ward 1 counselor.
1: <laughs> I guess I don't want to say it's ageist, <laughs> but <laughs> I feel like as a senior, Vince would be more in tune, but that's, that's very interesting to me because it's like, oh, so you've already drawn lines in the sand. James is, Mr. Pasternak is not someone who's very confrontational, but I could see how Jennifer could feel threatened. Seniors are a huge voting demographic, and control over their housing will be, like, a really big motivating factor (laughs) in the future, if I have to be honest. So, yeah, they're already establishing their lines for political capital.
0: Did you- Did you hear uh, during the election, Vincent Crisanti, his signs said re-elect, even though Michael Ford beat him in the last election, his signs said re-elect. And that was brought up at the Ward 1 All Candidates meeting uh, that I attended. Technically, I was the only quote-unquote media that was there. Um, And uh, he got called out for it. But he's like, it says re-elect because... The day after Michael Ford was elected to the province, he got a swath of phone calls. Uh, We need you. Come back. We need you. We need you.
1: Yeah, I can believe it. Honestly, I imagine they just have a garage full of signs. Like, (laughs) If I was committed to like never working in the private sector again, I would probably save my signs for the next four years. And that's, that's what incumbency does like. If I just had to be popular and not have like knowledge, I would totally do campaigning forever. And that's the thing. It's very, it's very like high school popularity where it's like, it's mindless. I just like you because you're, you play football or I like you because you represent the best parts of our school. Meanwhile, like you could be a monster, but you look good. And that's like the vanity that's associated with our current style of salesman representation is just can people remember your face no one cares about your ideas and that's what makes a good salesman because the car salesman could be ripping you off but like he's the guy you trust because he sold you a car once you know what I mean and that's where we kind of have to really critically look at campaigning like it's a business strategy you know it's not really about politics or political ideology anymore it's about selling a product and I want to say like the age of our counselors inspires this idea of like oh they've been around long enough to absorb stuff you don't know what stuff they've absorbed but like age and maturity are just so conflated and yeah it's it's something I met at the door with John Tory's voters where they're like, oh, he's nice. And it's like, have you seen John Tory in this neighborhood outside of voting time? <laughs> I've never you seen know, John Tory. Um,
2: <laughs> it's like, I have these conversations with, uh, with my brother who works uh, very close to me. So we like travel the same way home. Mm-hmm. And uh, like, he doesn't pay attention to politics. And he sees John Tory as just nice, mm-hmm. nice and bland. And it's like, you know, you're trying to explain to him, it's like, you know, you see the garbage is overflowing. You know, you see TTC isn't working as well as it should. You know, that's that's the mayor. And, yeah. you know, it's just like, I, I did make a joke with him where uh, if we were going just purely off the past two mayors, his, if my brother were elected mayor, he'd look more like John Tory. And if I were elected mayor, I'd look way more like Rob Ford. <laughs> Well,
1: that's the thing. it's like appearance does inspire confidence and unfortunately like this is one of the things I'm hoping to work on as the campaign has ended it's just like what does it actually mean to be a politician a qualified politician at that because we do come from a time where it's like yeah if you were Jimmy Carter a peanut farmer you could be a good man of virtue because you grew up on a farm now you won't be able to find a jimmy carter running in politics you know what i mean the the candidates have gone to elite school much money it's too much money elite schooling you've got campaign donors that are grooming candidates from like colleges and universities and this is where i think as voters we need to really ask ourselves like what does it even mean to be nice like oh, you're nice, like you haven't murdered my family. Like, okay, everyone's nice. If that's the metric,
2: like what is the bar? The, the base level. Yeah, and that's the thing, like we- <laughs> Well, Doug Ford didn't come and smack me in the face, so I will vote for yeah. that man. And that's the thing, it, like it's it's wild to me that
1: we will judge people who sell drugs and like the premier has a history of that and no one talks about it because it's like, well, he's Rob's brother and he's nice.
0: Well, just so you know, <laughs> I went to the same high school as Doug Ford, not at the same time. And yeah. they, and and like it's just a rumor, but I'll 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 say it. The rumor is in high school he dealt hash. He was the hash guy it's at a... at Scarlet Heights. Oh,
1: we've yeah. all Oh, we've all heard that. And that's the thing, like it's a well-known <laughs> fact, but because he's from the right family, like we'll ignore it. And this is where Right. the barrier of entry for like who is a politician becomes murky because it's like all of us could technically be politicians if we wanted to the people who have the audacity to be politicians are kind of the wealthy's worst children right now <laughs> and then you know I mean? there's
0: the and then there's the issue of career politician uh chloe i i, I didn't get to see every single second of your campaign but uh Term limits. I'd love to hear your opinion on that.
1: I believe in them. Um, I also believe in ranked ballots because like, if I fail in office, please bring in the second guy. If he fails, bring in the third guy. Like this is what democracy is for. And I was really hoping that we would give one of like Tory or Doug a list trust moment, because I really love how dynamic UK politics is at like getting rid of bad leadership. And that's what term limits should do. And it shouldn't just be bad leadership, but it's like, you tend to forget the people you serve once you get removed from them. People should be forced back into the public to remind themselves like, you're just as human as your residents. Like you you had a little office power, congratulations. But like, at the end of the day, you're still gonna need these services. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with our democracy right now, the people deciding on services, don't use them. They they could afford to get to private schools, private healthcare, even before they got into office. So it's like they don't cherish public services the way me or you do. So yeah, right now, term limits and rank ballots would be really great for refreshing our democracy. And I really believe moving it forward towards proportional representation. Because I think a lot of us take for granted that North, the North American democracy project is fairly recent compared to like Europe. And we fully, we haven't like fully explored the expansion of democracy in the last, like, I want to say 50 years where like people could actually vote outside of like owning property or like being a white male, you know, like voters rights are fairly new for a lot of people. And When we think about like, particularly in Canada, how they cut civic education, it's no wonder a lot of people don't know what they're voting for or what level of government does what, because I'll be honest, as a policy analyst, like I track federal transfer payments to the province. By the time the province decides what to do with that transfer payment, it could end up anywhere because it's not up to the feds to tell the province how to spend its money contrary to the belief of many people
0: that's interesting and uh is is it the same way uh when the the city gets their money from the province i assume that's how it works uh do they get do they say you can spend it on this you cannot spend it on that sort of thing
1: yeah and that's the thing like the province will set up its parameters through like grant streams they'll do funding streams like programs and be like okay the municipalities can apply to these programs based on this eligibility the feds are not like that they're just like give us all your money and we'll divide it up amongst the provinces that's it the feds don't really have much power in dictating much to the provinces and they a lot of people don't realize like after brian Melrooney, getting rid of vocational education was a huge one that got downloaded to the provinces, and this is when Harris came in in the 90s, and this is why we don't have shop classes, home ec. This is why we don't have a lot of those really key skilled trade programs, because once the feds gave up their responsibility, the provinces were like, well, let's just lump this in with skill development and labor instead of getting it that? in education.
2: Is that what happened with like federal public housing as well? Like, did yes. they download that to the provinces and the provinces were just, I don't know, it's, it's a mess.
1: Well, that's the thing. Like a lot of what's missing in Canada is a unifying national act. So like a healthcare act, education act, something to say, like, these are the priorities of Canada. This is what the provinces need to meet them. And this is how the cities deliver them right now because everyone doesn't want to get blamed for something going wrong we have a bloated government that's a bunch of people just playing hot potato just like you take it you take
2: it you take it yeah it's that spider-man meme of the the pointing at each other and yes and, you know no one's uh no one's really taking the blame it's just like especially i want to say right now i mean now, I'm not going to get into a whole side tangent conversation, but like with the healthcare situation right now, I mean, I, I do feel like there is more, a direct fault can be placed on the province, but obviously there's still that reluctance from the federal government. Um, there's, there's blame to go around.
1: Absolutely. And right now the feds are withholding the health transfer until they get a more detailed plan from the provinces because yes, COVID was a problem, but they're not going to give us more money to just, spend on anything and this is where the provinces become like very unruly animals because if you ask them like give me a report they can straight up tell you no because federalism you know what i mean who is the federal government to impugn its will on the provinces and we're feeling that at the city level because as creatures of the province the feds cannot step in and it's very into- different
0: yeah, a lot of people i, I
1: said to lot- someone
2: else Oh, sorry. I was just gonna say. Oh, yeah. Um, I had heard, or I had thought, after sort of the realization that uh, our provinces are actually very powerful. You know, in the states, uh, they have this. They they talk a lot about states' rights. Um, I feel like they have more of a unified federal government than we do. Sort of feels like our. Oh, am I wrong? Am I misreading? Oh, well, uh,
1: state governments are like insane you have like the state governor general you have the state um like district attorney we don't vote for our legal officers you know what i mean if that got i did think the about race,
2: this. um i don't know how he would survive like we can barely come out for they politics so and... many <laughs> they've got w- so many roles of like you know comptroller <laughs> what the fuck does a comptroller do i mean i, I so was gonna say answer. please please don't tell me but <laughs>
0: I was going to say, I think that uh, uh, there's a there's a a section of people who are waiting for Justin Trudeau to mess with the province the same way Doug Ford keeps messing with the uh, uh, with Toronto, especially during the election. I can understand changing the rules before the game starts. I understand that. But changing the rules once the game's already started, once the election's already started, that that should not be allowed.
1: Well, this is where it becomes risk. You know what I mean? Because essentially, if you th- th- think of this as a game, I'm Doug Ford messing with the municipalities to trigger Justin Trudeau to open the Constitution so that if Pierre wins, we have our to reason to say, like any constitutional change, the liberals did it. Why can't we do it? And this is where people need to kind of think of politics like gameplay because it's no different from a video game where it's like, yeah, you get all these final bosses, you get a map of what their lair looks like. And if you are someone who loves video games, just like think of all the ways you have to undermine the enemy and just apply it to real life, undermine their donors, become like a nuisance. And that's the thing. People don't know how to gamify politics to make it enjoyable. And that's kind of what I I did like John Tory is just
2: Wario, you know what I mean? He's Bowser.
1: <laughs> and how can I be I scared love of Bowser? How many
2: different people. I love how many different people you've said John Tory is at this point. But right now, <laughs> this is my favorite.
1: Well, that's the thing, like Wario you... and Fat Tony. <laughs> I and that's the thing, like politics can be fun if you can relate it to your life. You know what I mean? And for me, it's video games. It's world building. So when I think about like the larger scheme of Canadian politics, just think of like Doug Ford, Justin Trudeau. Like these are just characters on a board, and they're waiting in their little hutches for us to come to them and challenge them.
0: Somebody's going to create this video game, you know that, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, I wanted to read a uh, part of what uh, John Tory said uh for the first uh, little whatever you want to call that on the 23rd before the real meeting Uh, started on the 24th
1: yes please trust
0: me (laughs) it was an article written by ben spear um, regarding the council meeting wednesday october 23rd Uh, john tory stated quote he would only use the most controversial of his new strong mayor powers if it is necessary to advance housing and transit policies of citywide importance and if he couldn't reach consensus with council after receiving advice from city city staff unquote uh he also pledged not to seek re-election in 2026 uh he also argued that he Relax. could he could be trusted with extraordinary powers for political gain because he was not seeking re-election in 2026 uh councillor Hold on, we'll go. We'll get a. We'll go over. Don't worry. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Uh, I'm just cou- playing.
2: I'm just
0: playing. Uh, I didn't write the whole thing down. I just made notes. Uh, Councillor Josh <laughs> Matlow rose from his seat and alleged Tory had quote impugned the privilege of council. Uh, the major sticking point is that John Tory went to Ford and asked. This was in the summertime during the election and asked Ooh. for, I guess, stronger mayoral powers than the strong ones. Um, And and basically, so that's all I got. So let's go back up to the top where um, it's funny because the original strong mayor powers were to deal with housing, but it says here that it's for housing and transit. Yes. (laughs) I don't... uh, uh,
2: well, this is I where Yeah, the, the thing that I had said. Oh, boy okay, first. Sorry. No, this is where I kind of just like, did I
1: trigger this man? Like, I hope I did. <laughs> he Went That'd back to super mayor powers like <laughs> <laughs> and that's the thing, like it's it's a game, like just poke this bear and see what happens. And that's the thing. It's like it's shocking to me that so you became the mayor. And you don't know what to do. So now you've invalidated two thirds of council who've spent their, like, this is what rich kids do. You know what I mean? I'm not shocked, but I'm also just like, Hey, someone needs to spank Richie rich and remind him that this is a meritocracy. Like if he can't, and that's the thing he, his whole campaign was like, Oh, I'm going to make the partnerships to make this stuff happen. No,
2: you're not. You're going to beat up everyone on the playground. (laughs) Exactly. The The only thing I want to, like, throw in on this is, you know, everything you just said, and just keep in mind the fact that this is his ninth year as the mayor of Toronto.
3: Yeah.
2: And, you know, he's had council supporting him. He could have done all of this stuff. All of a sudden, he's powerless, and, like, like I know John Tory is a pathetic loser, but, like, you got to, you know, like... You well, got to at least lie. You know, yeah. I'm going back. I'm going back on an earlier point where you said honesty is the best policy. Honesty is the best policy for people like you and me. But when John Tory does something stupid, there's a part of me that really wants him to lie because why not just, just lie. I idiot. know it
1: would it make us feel better that like our tax dollars were being used for adult learning, but you know, it's not, <laughs> um, but this is, like that's the thing John Tory's only experience in, is leveraging his family's name to get what he wants and a lot of us know people like that but in our everyday life we're powerless to do anything because we experience this in our workplaces at our homes etc but this is where we we have to get smarter like all of us brought you there all of us will take you out like i don't mean to sound radical or anything but it's like we're at that point in history where like marie Antoinette told the people to eat cake and we the people can like (laughs) eat cake or you know do something civil and be like so we're gonna we're gonna throw john a retirement party whether he likes it or not and (laughs) well this is where like i don't know if you remember but city council took power from rob ford at I the remember. End
0: of the- I
3: remember. Yes.
1: It's not like these mechanisms don't exist. It's about the political courage of individuals. And this is what ruffles my feathers. If you don't have courage to be in the public sector, the private sector is there for you. You can you can live your life quietly at your desk. But if you enter this arena, be prepared to be bullied. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, I did not survive cyberbullying and three-way calling to have Older adults that cannot survive mean comments on Twitter. Like,
0: Absolutely. just
1: choose a different job, you know?
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I don't know if you guys caught this part, but uh, when Councillor Malik stood up, uh, she went over the definition of affordable housing. So, according to the city, I guess, the definition is um, a, a unit that's priced around $530,000 uh w- with a person making around $156,000 a year.
2: Thanks. Oh
3: God.
0: that's <laughs> affordable housing. That's oh, affordable my God. housing.
2: Um, and I, I I Oh and I it's don't a one it's a what it's a
0: hold on. It's a one bedroom. That that's what it's predicated oh. on. Uh,
2: okay. So this I don't where... know if I've said this to you, Matthew, where it's just like I feel like, I mean obviously this is always the goal of um <sighs> Obviously, all employers want to get away with paying as little as possible, and all landlords want to get away with getting as much money as they possibly can, you know, from individuals. And I feel like these two realities are are really hitting together at this moment of people aren't getting paid enough and housing costs so much. Sorry, that's, that's all I had to say.
1: No, no, it's it's a very valid point. And this is where statistical data becomes very important because it's like, are you calculating the average like earnings or are you like calculating the median? If you're calculating what's in the middle for the average earner, you're going to get a different number than if you calculated the average of all earners. And yeah, this is where... Like now that think, I'm in post elections. I, I, I think the I
0: word to... I think the word average was used. I think it's average.
1: Yeah. So yeah, the average of a hundred thousand people. If you have like even 30 of them making over a hundred thousand dollars, it's gonna skew the numbers. You know what I mean? And this is where I find there's a really big need for us as working class people to be open about what we're earning. I think the rich have made us very like self-conscious about that. And it's like, well, the only people that win are the rich because I'm too scared to tell you how poor I am. Who's that benefit? You know what I mean? So we need to build affordability scales based on a different basket of goods. And that really will require us as people talking about what we actually need because the basket of goods for someone in a wheelchair versus someone who's walking with a cane is different. And I don't think a lot of people, especially working people know that based on ODSP, like you can't even get your basic disability supports. So then how is it fair that the government is only giving like $1,000 to people who need it that want to be able to be productive versus giving families earning $100,000, that $200 tutor thing, you know what I mean? And this is where trade-offs and numbers start to... Uh, separate people from the public sphere. Because, yeah, we think, oh, it's an accounting thing. No, no, no. If you can manage a budget, and you can compare your budget with your neighbors, you'll start to realize, like, maybe we're paying too much for rent on this building. Maybe access to no frills isn't as cheap as we think it is. Maybe we need an independent grocer. Maybe we need a partnership with the community farm. You know what I mean? And these are the local assets that I feel are not being leveraged properly by council. Like, yeah, we can be super pissed about what Doug's doing or we can fortify our realm and make sure that our communities will be fine.
0: So uh, the other thing that I I learned um, is that the city has over $2 billion in their reserves. Yes. and I'm just wondering if they're going to be, in your opinion, if they're going to be—I I don't know if the right phrase is uh, like forced into using it, um, because the city's broke. We have we have a budget shortfall, and and with this Bill 23 taking away, uh, they said it's around 230 million dollars oh. per year. away from the city so we already have the the budget shortfall that just adds to it nobody is is coming up with or adding any new revenue tools and john tory's just sitting on his hands are we gonna are we gonna lose that reserve of two billion or or is john tory going to be forced to go hat in hand to the province and and ask him to cover his ass
1: so this is where john i don't know what John's actually gonna do because I've read the federal fall economic statement and the province's federal economic statement, which is just essentially this is how much money we got and this is how much you're getting for the season. There's no money available, so he can't really go to other levels of government and beg. The two billion dollar reserve is for the gardener. It's not even. Oh my god. Or yeah, it's not even for something like a rainy day it's money that's been saved for the gardener for the last 10 years and john could choose to use that money but he loves the gardener too much you know what i mean so this is where like we could be solving our own problems but john rather not he'd rather go to papa and beg for money because that's what he's used to doing and yeah like a lot of us are not really realizing it's still our money can Let's I ask you a Greater share of our money?
0: What's the what's the price tag on the gardener again? I thought it was is it 2 billion per I thought it was 10 billion.
1: It is at it's like a 10 billion dollar project. He saved up 2 billion 10 of it. Years? I believe it. Yeah, but it's going to
0: cost like what's the average yearly cost is I guess what I'm asking. Oh, as
1: well this is the thing. As it deteriorates, the cost of concrete goes up. It's, it can be in the $10 billion range when you consider all the other costs associated, the cost of labor, the cost of material, and all the other construction coming into that area, like, it would be better to tear it down. And he can create a boulevard for I believe 350 million and still preserve the street, build development by the new boulevard. But for some reason, he just loves that piece of junk. You know what I mean? It's one man's trash and someone else's you know, treasure.
0: I'll tell you, like growing up, I, I grew up on Tandridge. I don't know if you were that, if you know where that is. So I, and my, my mom didn't drive. We didn't drive. So whenever we did go with someone wherever that drove and we did the gardener, I thought it was the coolest thing ever because all these billboards and I'm like, I'm entertained. But at a at that cost it's it's really not worth it and i agree with you i think we should uh tear it down um and and the other ridiculous cost i wanted to ask you about it's kind of related a a billion dollars per kilometer building the subway what the yeah what the hell is that about
1: well this is the thing when politicians are just from the like wealthy families they know the cost of everything and the value of nothing so like two billion dollars to them is nothing it's it's coming off of my back and my children's back for them it's a legacy project they can slap their name on it and this is why we need to like stop just being so nice to politicians and actually get angry because us signing petitions and being online that's very nice if you showed up at their favorite restaurant and yelled at them and made that like your daily thing, they really have to change their mind. you know what I mean? And this is where we need to, we as working class people need to kind of accept like, yeah, we're the servants, we take care of your kids and we know where you are. <laughs> fix, Fix it or I will show up every day and become the Karen of your nightmares. I can embody a suburban mom that's really upset that you denied her child something. I have no children, but I can embody that. And that's the thing we need to take that energy to politicians because no one bugs them. You know what I mean? They can turn off their notifications. We wouldn't know, but they'll know if you're where they are. And I think a lot of people should do that more to John Tory because it's like this man lives downtown, go to the Harbor 69 steakhouse make it so that John Tory is a terrible brand and he should not be supported until things get fixed. And that's the thing, like we can no longer be nice. We need to start being strategic because being nice to the oppressor is killing us. You know, they're just like looking at us like, Oh, you definitely enjoy dying. You haven't done anything. That's going to make me think
2: otherwise. (laughs) You know, I feel like, oh, did I lose my, my thought process? Oh, no, okay, yes, sorry, I got it. Um, I feel like the myth, and I'm gonna call it a myth, you know, of yeah. Canadians being polite, I feel like it's more accurate in our institutions. And, and going back to what you were saying earlier, where in the UK, they were more than willing to throw out more than one prime minister when their policies uh, very quickly brought in problems. Where here. We're just too polite, you know. Doug Ford, Doug Ford will do what he does, and I feel like it would almost be smarter for backbench uh, conservative MPs, MPPs, sorry, to um almost separate. If they, I don't know what I want to say here, but but we don't we don't push back in the same way that um you know British people do against you know their governments. Like we are very, it's like. The rules are set. And despite the fact that a lot of, you know, politicians don't follow those rules, like they get caught, they get in trouble, you know, uh, we feel like those rules are sacred. And we just, I don't know, we're very soft on our politicians, I think, as Canadians.
1: Yeah, no, and that's, that's the thing. It's just like, being nice is about not rocking the boat. It's about preserving tradition. And that's killing us. And I don't think we have those conversations enough because we're very focused on the surface stuff. Like, oh, I'm black, I'm female. You're white, you're male, blah, blah, blah. Okay, cool. Did you grow up in poverty? And that's the thing. Like, did you grow up in poverty? Because I grew up in poverty. I know what it's like to not have like snacks. I know what it's like to not have new shoes because like my parents can't afford that. And that's the thing. Like we we have to take off that surface level identity and get back to like the values of being a community and yeah like as I'm looking at what to do next it's like I'm trying to do a hundred participatory budgeting projects so what that looks like is just us going to council and being like yo give us a $80,000 I know you have it let us decide what we spend it on it's what we elect them for. If you don't want to give me that money, what are you here for? And by applying that pressure, it makes people realize like, yeah, this is something I do every day where it's like, you're looking around thinking of changes, but now you have the money to do it. And it's your money. (laughs) It's a
2: one way to like recapture our homes. Not in in the same vein. But I was just thinking of uh, how, during during the course of the election, I learned that uh, city councilors they have an amount of they have like a constituency budget that they can spend on, and a lot of a lot of councilors it sounds like they don't really spend that money, and I I feel like why why couldn't councilors even? I I feel like I am sort of jumping to a random thought here because of course uh, charity. Charity is a is a political problem in the sense that we're not doing everything right, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But why, why wouldn't city councillors not use some of that money, for example, for something small like coats or sleeping bags for the homeless? I say that, again, as I said, knowing mm-hmm. that those are, the homelessness obviously is a policy failure, so having government officials be like, spending money in that way wouldn't be great, but just, you know, you'd have that. You have that constituency amount that you can spend, for sure.
1: Um, in twenty twelve, I want to know twenty fourteen. I worked with Shelly Carroll to get participatory budgeting done in her ward, and that's the thing. It's just like it's the willingness of counselors to let you know that funding is available for the community to spend. Uh, Toronto Community Housing already has that process in place for the last fifteen years, where they come together. Mm-hmm and they decide what improvements they wanna make. Why isn't that done on private housing? Why can't my landlord's property taxes be used by me to fund things that I know need to be done in my building versus you letting this, psych, like, look, respectfully, but you letting this amateur decide like what needs to be done? you know? And this is where we as voters need to think about like, what do we do after four years? Like, yes, the popularity contest is done, but if you don't watch Brent, he will burn down the school. You know what I mean? And this is like, treat it like high school where it's like, think of politicians as those people in high school where it's like, yeah, they're super popular, but like without supervision, they would burn down the school, you know? So like, you got to keep an eye on them. And You know adopt them as a little friend be like i'm gonna call you every sunday (laughs) and that's the thing like the easier you make it the the easier you make it seem like they're just your neighbors but they're in charge of doing right by you the easier it gets to like call them regularly the easier it gets to see their face in public and be like yo i called you where are you on that proposal Like, you have to set deadlines for them. And that's the thing. Like, us as a community now have to manage this one person. And we got to treat them like our employee. Think about how your boss treats you. Channel that into your politician. Make them better.
0: (laughs) I also wanted to bring up, uh, switching gears a little bit, I don't know if you guys saw the video. Uh, It was the day after we recorded last week, Philip, the Mm -hmm. 21st, the the eviction from the Novotel Hotel. Did you see that?
2: Yeah. I was just gonna. I was just gonna talk about the one from today. Wait, was that video? Oh shit! No, that oh, video. That, video, that video
0: happened on the twenty first. Yeah. But it went oh, viral. It was the action
2: happened today. Yeah.
0: No, it went viral. I don't know when oh. it went viral, but.
2: I think it went viral today, but the date on the video is the twenty first. Yes. So you're correct, and I I wanted to ask about this, but holy shit! Yeah. All right, we're on the same page. <laughs> okay. But also, fucking goddamn it.
1: Yeah, um, to be honest, this is where like the $2 in reserve could be building modular housing to support people. Uh, Finland has a housing first policy. And what they do is they get people off the street, give them housing, and they direct them immediately to social supports. It works four out of five times. We have all these parking lots that we could be putting modular housing on. And this is where like the city, the councillors, they have everything at their disposals, but because of their privilege, they can't think outside the box. Where you and me, where it's like, yeah, I grew up poor. So like, I have to constantly think about like, how can I substitute this for that in the immediate? They're just like, oh, well, like, but think about 10 years from now. We don't have 10 years from now. The $2 billion that John has could create a community of taxpayers. And that's the thing, it's about investing in people in the short term for those long term gains, because no matter what we do, it's just like the investment in infrastructure will never pay out the dividends that investing in people will. People mm-hmm. have the ideas, people create the tools, people bring other people to the space. And this is where my frustrations about the Novotel hotel are you could have used that money, the 70 million for for this space hotel to create modular housing it didn't even have to get this the hotel and that's the thing it's just like we have hotels that are out of commission we have spaces that are out of commission why didn't you use 70 million to convert these spaces we have trade schools all across toronto where you could have got tradesmen in to retrofit these spaces why didn't you use them and it's a choice because John Tory is rich. He's just like, why would I give these people free housing? They should just pull themselves up by their bootstraps. We'll just hide them in hotels. <laughs> and that's what he's doing. He's hiding the problem because he has no idea how to solve it or, or not not even idea. It's just, he doesn't want to solve it because he doesn't think these people are worthy. And that's the worst part of it. $2 billion for the gardener. Meanwhile, you could save over what? 8,000 people? You could, yeah. you could possibly save over 8,000 families because these are people's family members. If you restore their lives, you restore over like 10,000 people. And that's the thing. Like they, I hate to say it, but like they as politicians lack humanity at a certain point because it, they don't live amongst us anymore. And that's kind of why I'm glad to be back as a policy analyst because I see people every day. I walk amongst them. I- and that's what keeps my practice fresh i'm never too far from the people that i'm trying to serve and the only way that politicians are going to get back to us is if we bring ourselves to them and be like hey so now that the election's done the work's gonna start and you're gonna see this ugly mug until you quit your job or like you get better at it and that's the thing like you you kind of have to give them no no alternatives this is the ultimatum you get better or, you know, I become your three o'clock bully. I don't want to be, you know, but yep. this is where we
2: are. In that, Go ahead, Philip. In that sort of thought, um, and that's, it's more like, uh, it's sort of my overarching thought. Anytime a politician does something that not every bad thing a politician does is evil, but obviously a lot of the bad things politicians do are evil. Um, yeah. um, But I I always, it's, for me, the question very often comes up, you know, stupidity or malice, Mm. you know? So it's like, when when we hear people say, I mean, for example, we know, you know, the, I've talked to Matt, you know, in the past about um, the source of crime, that like, we know what causes crime. But instead, we continue to fund the police which is reactive instead of proactive actually you know that's that's sort of the end of my thought I don't have anything deeper than that just um it's a good point I very often can't tell well
1: that's the thing like housing first isn't just for mental health and addiction you want to end human trafficking housing if people are not anchored to a place it's easy for a trafficker to identify them as vulnerable and take them because who's going to know if they're missing And this is where- Who's going to protect them. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like, we don't think of housing as a preventative measure. When kids come from good homes, they're not going to leave. But if they're they're living in bad homes, they need somewhere to flee. You know what I mean? And if we thought about housing first and communities first, would we need long-term care? We could create dementia villages where people know, yeah, my neighbor has dementia and this is how I react to it we could create group homes for young people where they learn independence versus being abused by the private childcare system. And like CAS is a whole different story. And that's the thing, like we need to think of housing like the bottom of the pyramid of Maslow's pyramid. It's like the first thing we need to secure as people and a government for prosperity.
0: I'm just going to jump in here. So one other thing at the council meeting was that it's, so the city is made up of forty-eight percent renters. So mm. you, you already have. I'm just going to use ten thousand as a base number. Uh, uh, unhoused people, forty-eight percent are, are are renters, which mm. means which mean and with this Bill Twenty Three thing happening, there could be many more unhoused. Um, in your opinion, do you think that uh, maybe Doug Ford's plan is to make Toronto? or close to 100% um, owners instead of renters. Is his plan to drive the renters specifically out of the city of Toronto?
1: It's not to drive anyone out. It's to make it so difficult for you to have stable housing that you can't, like you can't even leave the province. You know what I mean? And this is where, this is where it's like housing, as a weaponized asset becomes very dangerous because it's like, if I can't afford to own a house, I'll constantly be renting from the people who do own a house. And a lot of people don't realize like multiple property ownership on the domestic level accounts for 40% of all ownership. So it's not like it's the Arab sheikh just like displacing you. It's the guy in Richmond Hill who owns three houses in Toronto for some reason, and owns a mansion in Richmond Hill. So this is where he's trying to enrich that property class and make sure us as working class people will be forever renting from them. Because if he was serious about home ownership, he would be implementing rent to own agreements in apartments, condos, and different forms of housing. You know what I mean? Not everyone who wants to own a single family home. Like I have an autoimmune disorder, I don't want to shovel a driveway or carry my trash to the corner every Thursday. An apartment works for me, and I would love to own my apartment, but the government has yet to make rent to own apartments available. You know what I mean? In New York, an apartment can go co-op. Where do those exist here? Why don't we have that ability to buy our apartments? And this is where, like... Doug becomes a very obvious crony because it's like he could be fixing the laws so that all of us have a chance to own a home, but it's just about real estate development. He just wanted to open up the wetlands, which is like the worst place to develop to make shoddy housing for his friends to sell. And that's what really burns me about Doug. It's like you come from Rexdale just like me and you're giving us a bad name because Like, even right now, one thing that I'm working on is the Therm Spa, which they're trying to put at Ontario Place. Put it by Woodbine Casino and the airport. It's already being redeveloped. Save us some money. As long
0: as you don't don't tear down Woodbine Center. I love that since I was a kid.
1: Well, that's the thing. The Therm Spa could invest in the Woodbine Fantasy Fair. Like, it's already there. It's already a kid's attraction. You want to add some water slides and artificial beach. I will support you whole handedly. Why would I go to an artificial beach on Lake Ontario? Water on water. What does that? (laughs) And that's the thing. Like, it's not a smart development. And that's my biggest beef with Doug. You could be a bully for good guys. But no, you're a cheerleader for like the real estate develop, like the worst parts of real estate developers. Because if I have to be honest, like the biggest thing that I found troubling during the campaign was like the pro-housing and the anti-housing groups. Who the hell is anyone to deny someone a home because it's going to mess up your neighborhood character? You bought your little single family lots. Stay on there and let other people have a chance of living a dignified life. And it's really upsetting to me that I see progressive counselors arguing about Things like supportive housing, converting old buildings into new forms of housing. Where the hell do you think the people serving your coffee and serving your banquets are going to live? No one's commuting from Barry for you. And that's the thing. Like at yes, some point, finally. something has to give.
0: You see, we've already found Tracy Cook's replacement right here.
2: <laughs> oh my god! No, no I'm fucking kidding! Holy shit! Like, he didn't even
0: have the courage to show up. She was uh uh on Zoom in the meeting.
2: Yeah, like Chloe, you you would have really enjoyed the Scarborough Southwest All Candidates meeting, where it literally was it really was, you know, NIMBY versus YIMBY, and it was Parthy Parthy He was um he came in second in the ward, yeah. but you know, so if, if you think of Gary Crawford, the incumbent, as, you know, being a NIMBY, Parthi was criticizing Gary on developing too quickly. <laughs> that was insane. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's, it's one of those things that, like, boggles my mind. Because it's like, so you want to end homelessness. You don't want to see drug use encampments. you want You don't
2: want to see homeless youth. But you refuse to have them in your neighborhood. Like, but like, that's but that's the thing. Their their solution to homelessness is not housing. As far as they're concerned, if they don't see it, they've solved homelessness. I think that's yeah. the that's the real frustration with with the people who say they want to solve homelessness with you know nothing in terms of providing housing or shelter or more funding supports. Mm-hmm. It's literally just they can either die or disappear. And that's that's what they want them to do.
1: And this is the crowd that wants to age in place. And this is where aging in place needs to be expanded beyond a seniors issue because I want to age in place. I'm 31. You know, like I'm born and bred Toronto. Aging in place for me means that I should be able to move from Etobicoke, Scarborough, North York and downtown Toronto without a problem. It doesn't mean I should just be stuck in my neighborhood. And this is where like I really feel there's an opportunity to build coalitions across our issues because disability issues are senior issues. Age creates opportunities to become disabled. And we don't talk about like the Alzheimer's and dementia that that group is facing. You know what I mean? How do we help them integrate into this narrative of what it means to live with a disability? Because A lot of them don't think about that. And if they were advocating for aging in place and accessible housing, a lot of us could, like, people with disabilities could benefit too, you know what I mean? Why does there only have to be a seniors village? Why can't there be 100% accessible housing for all ages? And these are the questions that, like, I'm hoping to ask council in the future once I take, like, some time off, because, like... (laughs) I haven't taken any time off. I'm still at my day job.
0: (laughs) Well, we still have a a few questions for you, but I I just wanted to switch to the uh, topic of police just for a quick second before we go there. Um, I don't know if you guys are aware, but uh, John Tory was removed off the Toronto Police Board. Um, Effectively, I'm to understand that. That means he can't, he doesn't have any control over the police budget. Is that true, Chloe? No, it
1: just means that john is not welcome to make decisions on their operational and service protocols mm-hmm. like he can still make the budget to sorry he can make the budget sorry, I was far, thinking... but like he can't go there and be like well you guys should do this anti-racism thing blah blah blah. like when you sit on the police board you can talk directly to the chief the so... union,
0: So, okay, no, let me, I apologize. Let me just jump in. So, and I'm just speaking in theoretical, these are hypotheticals, hypothetical, not theoretical, hypothetical. So if he, let's pretend for a minute that he was one of the huge reasons that things like Carding or Tavis were outlawed with him gone, even though we all think that's a great thing, is the conversation about carding or and or tavis gonna come up now that he's not on the police board
1: i don't i want to say i don't think so i think the police are really trying to just like get their life in order at this point because even they are tired of the city of toronto a lot of their calls are non emergency and i like after speaking to them during the election it's like they're burnt out too and unfortunately, just like nurses, they're an essential service. So it's not like they can go on strike. You know what right. I mean? And this is where these little political actions matter. Because it's like if they wanted him removed, that symbolizes that, like, they're tired of his shit. And that's the thing. Like, the board is like the policy making table where they openly discuss what they want to do. When you're not sitting there, you just get sent a budget. And this they're like, this is what we want. It's up to the mayor to, ch- like accept or reject it so he still makes budgetary decisions but that's actually a very interesting development to me because yeah the police board is a sacred place it's where those decisions about Tavis and parting get made and it only comes to city council once they're asking for funding other policy matters don't necessarily make it to council because that's their policy table you know what I mean? So that's where like civilians become very important because a lot of things can get lost at the police service board if like journalists aren't there or I as a private citizen aren't there. It's a policy table. So it's boring stuff, quote unquote, boring.
0: Well, as long as Blake Acton's not there, we're good.
2: Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> what a great universal like, oh, thank God. Uh, I, yeah. I do have a cynical a, a cynical take on, on the idea of John Tory not being part of the police board. And that sort of goes back to uh, the Spider-Man pointing meme of, you know, no accountability of no one can decide. My cynical yes. thought is taking John Tory off the board. I mean, he's still the mayor and he's still going to influence stuff with the police. Mm-hmm. So it really, in my mind, sort of feels like this is a potentially a get out of consequence free card for John Tory. I could be wrong. It could just be yeah. a cynical view. But uh, that's, that's the way I see it.
1: It's not a cynical view when you take a step back and you realize that um, Doug Ford appointed one of his developer pals to the York Region Police Board.
2: I did not know that. Oh, shit. I forgot. Yeah, about that. Mario <laughs> Portolucci. Yeah, yeah. And that was um, a couple months back. That was a big story, I think.
1: Yeah. So he appointed him to York Region. And now there's an appointment spot open at the Toronto Police Service Board. If I wanted to force development, Don't I want an army? You know what I mean? Absolutely. And this is where, like, it's not cynical to believe that, like, yeah, politicians remove themselves from situations they don't want to be held accountable for. So, if I was going to weaponize the police this year to clear encampments and act brutally to homeless people, I would possibly remove myself and just have Tracy do it. You know what I mean? And this is where, like, you have to think about the relationships that John brings with him because. he's one of those guys that just likes to offload blame like it wasn't me it was so-and-so it was so-and-so like like and that's the frustrating thing about his style of politics it's like you want all glory without guts
0: i also just wanted to get your uh both your quick takes um so there's an article in the paper it was uh that had big headline is killer to cop's plea repulsive uh so it has to do with james furcillo uh yeah. when he gunned down oh, yeah, yeah. uh sammy team basically there's an inquiry going um and we're covering this because it's it's toronto-based and it's loosely related to politics uh apparently his lawyer wants it's all political exactly uh his lawyer wants a suicide by cop theory rehashed at inquiry apparently there were computer searches or phone searches in the months leading up to what happened. um, And um, he he basically wants to um, shed accountability for the incident that happened.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's, that's really shocking to me after how much time has gone by. And that's what our political and social institutions have come down to. It's about escaping liability. Everyone at the top, has ever like anytime I work for a company number one goal cover your ass and if you can't cover your ass scapegoat and that's what our whole system has become you know what I mean you can't ever hold anyone accountable in these institutions why it legally it wasn't my fault and that's what they say like legally it's not my fault even if what they did was immoral well legally I was allowed to And that's the system that we're living in. Like the legality of stuff is what puts us off as working class people from protesting because none of us can afford to go to jail, pay for lawyers, miss a work day. But then the ruling class uses the law to change the rules so that they're on it, like they can escape accountability. And this is where like the disconnect between voting, civic participation, like this is what's really deterring us as people from taking risk. Because, yeah, John Tory could fully sue me for slander and libel. Because I have a student loan, I'm just like, do your worst. (laughs) If someone, (laughs) like, let's say, like you guys have kids, could you afford that? And that's the thing, that's how they keep us silent, the threat of liability. So it's like, it's really frustrating because this case with Sam team it can be concluded, but because he wants to escape legal liability, he's going to drum up this whole story, look at his mental health history and try to justify it for what he did wrong. Just accept what you did. And that's the thing. Like if you're a grown adult, accept what you've done and like try to move on, stop holding the public ransom and that's what this is it's trying to hold like us ransom for his mistake so like maybe he can get reinstated and that's the thing like at some point we have to call for better accountability mechanisms
0: glad you (laughs) brought that up because that's where i was going next yeah so wait wait wait. go ahead phil and then before you before
2: you can before you continue all i wanted to the two things i wanted to say is first of all uh, to Chloe, I've heard of the, you know, to cover your ass, the CYA, uh, I think I must have missed the next lesson of, you know, the scapegoating part, which is, you know, (laughs) well, okay, and that's the thing, like, once you've
1: worked with, like, a few campaigns, it's like, okay, so I get this now, this is just, this is theater, (laughs) like, you know what I mean? This is theater and gaming, it's not really, like, a test of wits, this is not Gore Vidal, (laughs) you know, it's,
2: it's Krusty the Clown,
0: I love that another Simpsons God, reference. You're really, you're really
2: killing it on these on these references. You know, like just just so you know, you've you've hit the right audience. I've so, been watching, I've been catching up with my TV since. So this was over.
0: before before I go on, I don't know if you listened to uh, the pod my other podcast when I got back, but. Do you know that they they're in so we went to myrtle beach south carolina um we went to a restaurant called paula Deen's, and it was like in a tourist location and right across the other side of the um, parquet, lake mall i don't know what to call it there's a quickie mart
2: oh shit! We,
0: we went into the quickie mart and i bought oh a squishy Lord. i bought a squishy <laughs>
1: oh my lord oh that nice. is that is Hell incredible yeah. that's actually like a great fact and now that i'm going to america i might just do a layover oh
0: Hell be- yeah it's beautiful i had uh you know i never got a chance to to tell you about it but it, it was so beautiful so beautiful we can't wait to go back um Absolutely. if we had won the powerball i don't know i don't know that we would have come back at all <laughs> because i mean the whole point uh it's a little sidebar but the whole point of um, in my opinion, getting your green card is so that you can work, but if you win the lottery, you don't need to work, therefore, you don't need a green card, you could just live there.
1: Yeah, um, that's, that's like owning property in Canada, you don't have to like pay for citizenship, <laughs> you own property, launder that's that right. money. That's
0: right. <laughs> um, Hell yeah. So, getting back that's to the,
2: the way po- it is, baby,
0: getting back to the police, we did our interview. And I think I, I I came up with this question after our interview, uh, for future interviews. But I never asked you, and that is so. When you remember when uh, the city went, uh, they threatened to go on strike because their contract ended. This is when Rob Ford was mayor, and he met with them, and there was a, a jobs for life clause that was in the contract that he got taken out. I would garner to think the Toronto Police Service have a similar clause. And therefore, if you could, oh, job for life. If you could take that clause out, and and so there's two things: you take that clause out, and then you replace it with a clause of uh of something of three strikes and you're out. Because I I firmly believe if you change the language in the contract, that's mm-hmm. the only way to hold the Toronto Police Service accountable it's not by defunding them I do think that their budget's out of control it needs to be trimmed but not in a disciplinary manner um the only way to hold them accountable is to change language in the contract I'm just wondering um what you think about that
1: so this is where unionization has its cons (laughs) because the police union is one of the strongest unions in the land. And but the they police have, aren't labor. Yeah. Well, this is that's the thing. It's just like <laughs> they are a, a local army and like God forbid they ever form a coup because we would be grossly underarmed and underprepared. Like and that's the thing. You can suggest that, but you would need to go through the union president who is not someone that I would tussle with. I've heard rumors that um, a local majority who has tussled with the police service board before has like been intimidated because of decisions he's tried to make. So this is where us again as a group of people need to decide like what is policing and like do we need to expand what policing is to like a citizen approach where it's like we're all trained for like emergency services a little bit. And we have police services because yeah like scandinavian countries like they have reserve training and emergency training where they teach you like if there is an invasion this is how we would this is how we would like defend ourselves as a country the police are who defend us so like we've relegated a lot of power and responsibility to them to ever cut Or like change their qualified immunity, which allows them to get paid while investigations are happening, would be one of the biggest challenges in labor history, in my opinion, if I have to be honest. Because like the union itself would then be undermined and collective bargaining as we know it would have to be challenged for certain services because the police are very unique, but the army isn't unionized. You know what I mean? And that would really call into question, like, who deserves to be unionized if they're part of the public service? And I don't know if we're ready to be there yet. I don't know if unions ever want to go there because, in my opinion, unions exist because of capitalism. The minute we start questioning their, like, existence in the system, we question the whole thing. Especially for us as workers. You know what I mean? So... Yeah, it's one of those, like, really touchy grounds where it's like, I think it's a great idea. I will send someone else to implement and survey the crowd. Because, (laughs) yeah, like, policing is one of those really, I want to say, opaque services where it's like, we know they're supposed to serve and protect, but in the pantheon of evil,
2: how do you even do that? You know? Like, well, and... and and that's sort of the thing where, you know, people think wrongly. And I mean, I, I already touched on this. People wrongly think that the solution to crime is more cops, you know, but but police don't prevent crime. They don't like their presence doesn't stop crime from happening. They react to crime. And yeah, I, I don't know. Obviously, this isn't about the police union. This is just no. again, going back to it's
1: a- it's a serious distinction to make because like there are law enforcers that are caretakers. There are law enforcers that are investigators and detectives. Police is a very monolithic term for all those people. And we should have specialized forces to deal with like public threats to safety, organized crime, domestic violence, because that's a huge one that we don't really have police services for. We need specialized um public safety units in order to evolve policing. Because policing as it exists, isn't sophisticated enough to deal with these problems. Like one that really gets me is dealing with people with autism. And we don't have enough police officers trained to identify people with disabilities. And when you think about who's in jail, It's a lot of people with disabilities who just can't communicate their needs. So what does that say about what police do? To me, it's like, oh, so you picked on marginalized people. Like, as a marginalized person, that's your job. But, like, they do so much more than that. So this is where, like, when we talk about the contract, it's more than just, like, taking out qualified immunity, paid leave. It's about, like, taking out crime prevention from their actual responsibility. Because... They can, only, like you said, they can only react once something has happened. If they try to do preventative crime, like in minority report, like there's so many bad things that can happen because it's like, so you're using AI, which is only as perfect as the person making it. Computers like technology has bias. And until you have literate people building the digital technology, you're going to need smarter more intelligent investigators you know what i mean so it's definitely worth a look and like i would even go further to say the education for police is a big issue so i got
0: sorry sorry sorry, no no no. you go you can you finish
1: okay so like when it comes to hiring police like are we hiring investigators and detectives or are we hiring guys that just are physically fit you know what i mean like, if I wanted to hire a bunch of people to physically intimidate, I could hire bouncers, you know what I mean? If I want people to solve- I was solve thinking, mistakes, it sounds like you're
2: describing security guards.
1: Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, we see a lot of people treat the police like personal security instead of, like, crime fighters. Like, are we hiring departments of Batmans or are we hiring the Hulk?
0: <laughs> so I got I got a few things I, told I, you I we uh... could have
2: departments of Batmans.
0: So- <laughs> um correct me if i'm wrong but included in the stronger than the strong marrow powers that john tory secretly asked for he also asked for a notwithstanding clause
3: did
0: he I, and if that's correct th- tech this is theoretical this is hypothetical um yeah. you could change the language in the contract and then use the notwithstanding clause no
1: so he didn't ask for a notwithstanding clause, and the powers themselves would be the notwithstanding clause because he can fire city managers, he can hire city managers. So oh, it's up just, to him. he's yeah, just too his, afraid.
0: He's just too afraid to.
2: <laughs> well, that's the thing. Like, Wait, it, is that is that a part of the new um, strong mayors that he can just hire and fire the city manager himself without a council vote?
1: Yes, and that's the thing. Like, he'd only need a third of them to approve it. Before is, it was two-thirds. Now it's a third. So it's just like he's wiped out the 66% of his colleagues.
0: So Tracy, but, uh, so Tracy Cook's job is is safe.
1: Yes, essentially. And that's the thing. It's just like he really doubled down on protecting who was left in his circle. You know what I mean? And that's what you do when you like you know there's blood in the water.
0: I'm, so, cu- I'm curious. So there were robocalls sent out. I, I believe it was Ward Twenty. Yes. Why he, Why wouldn't he send them out to Ward Three? He lost
1: Mark Grimes. Well, this is the thing. Like, if you think- he did he up- that last time. He and that's the thing. Like, Tory's really overcounted his chickens this particular election. He really thought Mark would have won, and. That's the thing, like nothing really changed this election. Progress Toronto was still oh. supporting Amber Morley, Chiara, etc. Chiara was really close to knocking out Nunziata. Um, Ch- was really or close to knocking like... out Perks. Like these were very close races, and I think he saw those in his in the polls early on. Because let's be honest, John has a whole team of people that he can squeeze for information. So <laughs> That's what, like, in my opinion, that's why I believe he doubled down because he saw those numbers and he could risk getting overthrown by a largely left council, or he could, you know, pregame and shut it down before it even happens. And that's like, this is the game now, like we're dealing with someone who doesn't like to compete. So like, he's going to hire someone to go full Tanya Harding on you.
0: (laughs) And that's what this is like well, well that's why there was a media blackout for the for the entire election yeah. uh,
1: but you I, gotta, you're me.
0: I gotta ask you you know as the election progressed what was uh your day like like how many uh phone calls how many emails were you getting and and uh, what was the point where maybe you were getting some and then it kind of like doubled and tripled and stuff
1: Honestly, it was the first debate but, um, <laughs> with the Zoomer media. Um, I didn't realize fair-haired boy was a, was like a triggering insult for the older generation. <laughs> like, I saw it on Law & Order. I just thought it was <laughs> fair game. So I got calls about that. Um, I also got calls about just like, yeah, just dragging the Dynasty boys. Um <laughs> just a lot of the great hits. I wasn't, and that's the thing, like I came with no notes and a lot of people thought that was impressive. So I got a lot of calls on that. Like, wow, you really know your stuff. And I'm like, I'm a policy analyst. I've been doing this for 10 years. I was at Occupy Toronto. I live and breathe this stuff. So yeah, the calls came in, but like, even after the election, I've still received calls and emails from people asking me to consult on projects. Um, I've met with like the green party I've met with like liberal party yeah (laughs) surprisingly I did something interesting that they couldn't imagine (laughs) who would have thought working class people but um yeah the numbers are what really have kept me alive in people's minds because I did spend like two thousand dollars for thirty five thousand votes and people can't wrap their heads around it and I'm to be honest, it's like, so I use this thing called social media that's been around since, like, the age of 10. And then i view. used... Chloe, tell me more. <laughs> yeah, like, and that's the thing. I didn't have <laughs> money for prints, so I went to the internet. And that's what happens, like... Which is funny. Four- <laughs>
0: it's funny because uh, someone like Blake Acton, who is rich...
3: Yeah. He... Oh, how much did, did he, he spend?
0: He, he, I don't know, but he did a Twitter campaign, that's what I call it, and he got blasted and he got what uh, 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 not, he got, a a not like he got
2: like, eight thousand votes. He loved yeah. posting pictures of homeless people. It was like his favorite thing. <laughs> so like and garbage well, weirdo. Blake represents like but, I mean, was a fair thing. and
1: police.
2: Yes. And that's the thing, like
1: yeah he he got his little market but like we're we these working class people like that's the worst group you can approach us with like his whole campaign was like pro oppression of the poor (laughs) yeah
0: and and the other thing is that um and I called him out on it because like when this election first started I think he was one of the first uh mayoral candidates that I interviewed and I I made the decision early on i think you know i i think i'm gonna support him he sounds like a he sounds like a good guy but then he started with all his crap and 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 then he he did the whole thing where he was oh you know uh no i i, I haven't taken part in any debates because i haven't been invited which horse shit. he was only not invited to the two that included john tory every other debate he was invited to and he declined yeah and people need to know that
1: well that's the thing it's like with what like we had our little interview and I just kept going to community debates I did nine in total by the time I was saw John Tory I was ready
0: that's awesome (laughs) And
1: yeah like that that's what it is it's people were so surprised by by my performance but it's like I've been practicing for this moment like I've (laughs) I've been interviewed. I went to a Green Party debate. I've been to a Toronto community housing debate. Like John Tory was actively avoiding this, so it's like, oh yeah, when I saw him, I let it rip. I remember <laughs> I because
0: I remember because the the Sunday before because the. the um, the The region board trade uh, debate took place on a Monday, mm-hmm. so the, the Sunday was when I I contacted you. I sent you a link for the the quote unquote MSA uh, town hall, and you're like, "Oh, I'm studying them." I'm, I'm like, "Yes," because she needs to deliver John Tory's ass tomorrow. So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna leave her alone and let her do it.
1: Yeah, well, that's and that's the thing. Like, I'm trying to create a playbook for future candidates where it's just like study. Like, a lot of these candidates, you can find their whole record of voting on the Toronto Meeting Minutes information system. So it's like, if you want to know how many ideas a councillor has put forward and failed on, it's there. And that's what made it so easy. Like, I know John's been collecting dust because I have a record of him collecting (laughs) dust. And I had receipts for it. And that's the thing. I didn't bring papers because they were just printed reports. I could have brought eight years of reports and slammed it down on that table and be like, these are all the things you fail to do. And that's well, the thing. Like he peached himself with his own incompetence at that point.
0: Well, I'll say that, um, you know, I, I'm no big fan of John Tory, but there is one other counselor, one other politician that has said no more than him. And that was Mark Grimes. Well, Stephen e- Everything <laughs> oh, is no, no, every vote doesn't yeah. matter what the subject was. He voted no every single time.
1: Yeah, him and Francis. I think you're Nunziata, forgetting our boy holiday. Days. Yeah, um, when I was an intern, Francis Nunziata, Denzel Min and Wong, Mark Grimes, just vote against anything. Like at one point, I was just like, "Why do you even come here if you hate people?"
0: Yeah. Well, that's that's the funny thing, because uh, like I've, I, I like I said, I used to live at uh, Lake Shore for 13 years. I follow uh, Mark Graham on Facebook and every picture, every post he's ever posted, he's always not in Toronto. He's somewhere in the yeah. States. He's somewhere else in Canada. He's he's mm-hmm. anywhere else but where he should be as a sitting Toronto City Councillor.
1: Well, that's the thing. They don't have to live in their wards. And this is why like I'm encouraging more people to make their politicians famous, take pictures of them. We need to know where they are. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where my MVP is sometimes. Well, I have Batalia. I'm actually lucky she's at work, but like Doug <laughs> Ford is in Muskoka actually, so often that it's like, I think we should all go to Muskoka. Like let's rent a bus and bring the camping experience to Muskoka until Muskoka kicks out Doug. There's, only so many places he can run to you know what i mean let's you know, well, then it would just be country. also
2: fun
0: well it's funny you we should mention make it a that fun because, camping weekend uh yeah. lakeshore this saturday coming december 3rd will host uh the santa claus parade for etobicoke lakeshore and i as usual will be there i can't wait to see if john tory is going to be there you know when rob ford was mayor, okay, he now. was there i have a picture of him oh, um mm. uh, uh and that one that I hope it's on my Instagram, uh, me and me and Rob Ford together. Um, I I'd love to see if, if John Tory is actually going to show up. Um, you know, Mark Grimes used to be there. So I assume he won't be there. Maybe Amber Morley will be there and we'll see whom else shows up. You know, sometimes the, the MPP shows up. Sometimes the MP shows up. Uh, I can't remember their names right now, but it's, it's great. And I, and I will be there. So anyone that, uh, that is listening to this, that is where I'll be on Saturday. And uh, we'll, we'll see if anyone heckles John Tory.
1: Look look for your politicians in the crowd. They're, they're just um, waiting to be interacted with.
0: I think... Take uh, out your
1: phones,
2: take some pictures.
0: I, I got yeah. one other question. You probably have been asked this a million times since the election. If you don't want to answer, that's okay. But yeah. 2026,
1: <laughs>
0: what does that look like for you? You know what I'm asking you.
1: Well, if, if we don't have like a nuclear winter, I guess I'll still be here. (laughs) Um, I honestly don't know in terms of leadership. I'm, like I said, like I'm focused on doing community projects, like a hundred community participatory budgeting projects where Mm -hmm. we're trying to get money back in the hands of people. I'm working on the Therm proposal to get the SPA moved from Ontario Place to Woodbine. And that's the thing. Like, I really just enjoy solving local problems. So that's what I see myself doing in four years. If John dares to run again, I will drag that man to the retirement home. (laughs) Like, I will make it my personal mission. Like, I don't... And that's the thing. Like, I don't want to run. But every time a lackluster politician dares to show their face, I'm like, dude, just quit. Like, I'm here to support you. Quit your job. Like, right now. (laughs) And that's the thing. Like, I'm just here to show you I'm a, I could be a great or terrible constituent. It's your choice.
0: So <laughs> something that I haven't stated publicly, but I'm willing to talk about it now is that I'm flirting with the idea of doing something in 2026, what it's going to be. I have no idea, but I, I'm honestly thinking about it. Um, but I don't want to run against you.
2: <laughs> oh my god!
0: <laughs>
3: um,
2: I still think if, if, you know, if, chloe if you chose not to run i mean again what i was saying earlier i still think a great uh municipal party with a great like kind of policy slate um i would definitely come to you for help with that i i think that would be you know yeah stuff for you. absolutely well, that, like,
1: that's the thing like i'm more into being the stage head. like you go on stage you give that audience <laughs> a show i'm literally in the back throwing up for you like <laughs> i'm just to be honest i'm not a public facing person i even after the election like i was at the spa and this lady's like i voted for you and i'm like ma'am can i put my breast away like what (laughs) is wrong with you and that's the thing it's just like i'm not used to the idea of i don't like the idea of people gravitating towards me because like oh i did a favor for you because I will personally start chalking up the favors that I'm like, I owe a million and seven favors. <laughs> like that type of pressure is something- Every vote about. is a favor. Yeah. Like it's it's something you only experience when you're campaigning because people will come out of the woodwork and be like, so you remember when I gave you $5? Go change parking on the left side of the street. And it's like, oh my God, I just, I don't like this pressure. So yeah, the next four years, I'm just trying to help more people see themselves as politicians
0: but you're a name brand now you should be, at least be getting the blue check mark
1: oh my god <laughs> my parents are like you opened okay it's only eight dollars <laughs> well that's the thing like i don't I don't want to become a cult of personality the way Doug or John is you know, where it's like, oh, she's nice and it's like but what yeah. if it's
0: but what if it's in a good manner like Doug and was, John and Justin, say. they're so far in the other direction. we need yeah. some the pe- the pendulum has already swung their way. It's time for the pendulum to swing back the other way. you know what I'm saying?
1: Yeah, I know what you're saying. It's just like man every like being the sci-fi fan that i am the chosen one never has it easy <laughs> that's that's what i'm trying to avoid like i already got a gray hair from this campaign and it's like can i sustain <laughs> another bed of gray hair
0: i love the purple and that you had that day
1: i had to get rid of my purple hair because that's what people recognize me as oh. so that's the thing it's like it campaigning takes on a life of its own and then it takes your life <laughs> and that's That's something like I'm still getting used to because I'm a working class person. No one cares about what I do. No one wants to congratulate me for doing my job. And being the mayor is like completely different. Like the amount of praise that we give John for like funding something. And he doesn't (laughs) even fund it. Like someone else provides the funding. And that's the thing. Like I'm waiting for society to kind of just see politicians as a job like stop worshiping these guys. Like these are the people that like were fleecing you for lunch money or like telling you to write their essay. Like We have to get over this worship of them. And that's, that's what I really want to do over the next four years. Just get people thinking like I employ this person. I need to have better standards for them. Or like, I know someone who's a great leader, but they're not from the business community. How do I get them to run? You know what I mean? Because there's there, a lot more people better suited for the rigorous demands of being a content influencer, uh, the father of 6 million people. Like, I can't even deal with the 35,000 followers I have now. Like I feel like I have to build them a curriculum, make sure they graduate. <laughs> and yeah, like I'm, to be honest, like my birthday is December 2nd. I'll only be 32. Happy birthday. And, thank you. I'm I'll turning,
0: be 32, I'm turning 40 so like, in January.
2: I feel okay. Oh shit! I was gonna say Matthew. I know you said your birthday was soon, so I was gonna be like, "Are we all December birthdays?"
0: But no, not, I'm I'm okay, January baby.
2: Well, that's the thing. Like, I
1: ran as a as a way to test my own life. You know what I mean? Being thirty, I've had three decades of like financial crisis. Um, the failure of the White House, like from Monica Lewinsky to January six, has been a ride. Okay. Yeah, yes, and that's the thing, Like, I've barely <laughs> been able to. What an interesting in. way
2: to cap that! <laughs> I hadn't even like. What an interesting way to yeah. Monica Lewinsky, January sixth. I feel like it should be the meme where they've got like the small blocks to the bigger blocks, and the smallest block <laughs> is Monica Lewinsky. And of course, you know. Actually, you know what? I'll. I should make that up Okay. Done here, I'll, just, I'll explain. I'll, right I'll
1: explain. Back. The reason why like <laughs> I know that is because that's like the first time I remember a political story on the news. And I was eight years old and people were like, oh, like blowjobs. And I was like, what the hell? Like the government is falling <laughs> apart because of blowjobs? Like I just, I couldn't fancy that as a kid. So it's like, that's how I learned to like, this is what government is.
2: This is how government is. Mean, as a walk. kid, I'm sure I would have said, what's a blowjob?
1: <laughs> well i was just like how's it gonna destroy america because that's how that like political <laughs> the way the media was selling it like this is gonna destroy america monica lewinsky is gonna destroy america and like as a young kid it's like how does someone destroy america and that's that was like the first political scandal i got wind of and that's how i started to learn about like politicians political scandals all that stuff and me too but america. i was a little bit
0: older but me too yes
1: yeah we made it all the way to the insurrection of the government, you know? And that's the thing. Like, I, don't, I feel like I haven't taken a break from political scandals since then. It's been one thing or the other. Like, Quebec wanted to one.
2: separate at one point. Like... Alberta. Just,
1: Alberta wanted to separate. They never
2: stop wanting to separate. Let's be clear. Quebec no, like, loves to threaten us.
0: So... You said you're going on vacation. Where, where, If you don't mind me asking, where are you going?
1: Going to um, Art Basal. It's a art festival in Miami. I'm oh, going to so go check you. out an art, tech, and policy conference.
0: You're just escaping the winter. That's what it is.
1: I just need to be somewhere foreign for my birthday so I can commit shenanigans. <laughs> oh like what's the worst thing gonna do deport me back to canada i'll take a free trip north
0: North carolina (laughs) was beautiful uh the weather there was amazing but i did experience um all four seasons in one day so when we left it was fall uh (laughs) we crossed the border but driving through pennsylvania was in a snowstorm and yeah. then West Virginia was a rainstorm. It was like spring, and then North Carolina is like summer, because um, yeah, we drove down. Because uh, I don't, I don't. I probably didn't tell you this. I, I don't fly. Really? I've never flown before. I don't uh, plan on it. My wife's like, but how are we going to go to Iceland? You said you always wanted to go there. I'm like, we'll take a fucking boat.
1: <laughs> how will the mayor go on trade missions? Like that's that's like twelve percent of your job. If you get the position, you can't take a boat to Tokyo.
2: No, <laughs> like, that's true. <laughs> um, that'd be very. Listen, I'd be that'd be very funny. Is
0: you there better go call you Greta
2: Thornburg.
0: <laughs> <laughs> is there any of your um, projects that you're working on? Anything that you can pitch and let people know what you're doing if they want to. Um, it's weird. I don't know if they can contribute to what you're doing or, or cause it's, um, it's, if it, if it's a not-for-profit nature or.
1: Okay. So that is, that's in development. Okay. I'm just trying to figure out names. <laughs> um, you, can't, you can't take yeah. triumph
0: over trauma. That's
1: mine. Okay. So, <laughs> well, thank you for letting me know. That's one less name I got to look up, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just trying to figure out a organization model to bring people together. Um, One of the goals that I want is just like the 100 participatory budgeting projects. And I want to have them all across Toronto. What they look like, I'm not sure yet. But out of that folder is um, the therm relocation of the spa. The reason why I'm focused on that one is because 10 years ago, I co-authored the community benefit agreement for the Woodbine Casino. And as a part of it, there is a childcare center there, there is entertainment space, there's so many different community amenities being built in. And with the 350 million that Therm is trying to put at Ontario Place, I would love to see it spent at the Woodbine Mall, like the casino, and also have like Pearson send a shuttle there so like you can have a spa layover or like wait at the spa before you have to go to Pearson. (laughs) It just makes sense to me, mm-hmm. but um, I'm really focused on that one because 350 million for Rexdale would be awesome. Absolutely. Like getting an artificial beach in Rexdale would be awesome as well. So it's like, there's so many great things that could happen if we just relocate this spa from Ontario place, which I think is a terrible location for a private spa. Um, And yeah, that's what I'm really just focused on because I want to get the money for the community. And I think like, North Etobicoke deserves a spa. I don't know of any, like, large water park spa amenities in Etobicoke. The closest one I'm thinking about is Wild Water Kingdom, and that is not a place that I'd love to go to, you know?
0: It's too crowded.
1: Too crowded. Too many kids. Too many potentials for, like, losing said children. It is stress. So, like, yeah, the idea of reviving the Fantasy Fair that tickles me. Um, I had
0: uh, I had my eighth my eighth birthday party there.
1: Yes. I remember having a birthday party there. I think there's so much potential to revive it and modernize it and yeah, like the community deserves a space. Honestly, like Woodbine Mall is one of those it's one of those places that has like a place in my heart, but also it's just like I want it fixed. Humber College is up there. Uh, You have Jane and Finch that could be using that place while the other Yorkgate mall and Jane and Finch mall get redeveloped. There's, there's a desperate need to bring development North of Bloor. Not to mention, not to
0: mention, I mean, we've already lost Rexdale Plaza. That's gone. Yeah. Like I I used to work in the Rexdale Plaza. I, I sat outside while they demolished it. I was very upset. It was a piece of me.
1: Yeah. And that's the thing. Like I want urbanism to exist North of Bloor. I'm really tired of like below Bloor. It's just like, we want bike lanes. We want mixed income housing. We want that north of Bloor too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I don't think enough attention is given to bringing urban planning to the suburbs. It's one of those weird things that I found during the election where it's like, oh, so like you think just because you're downtown you're the only ones that want like clean streets and big parks and bike lanes i've wanted that in rexdale ever since i grew up there they're shut down because like all the money went downtown and you forgot to advocate for a quality of
2: opportunity
0: well, i mean i think phil can speak to this but scarborough gets treated like the red-headed stepchild of toronto oh, my
2: God. oh yeah I mean, and that's that is a big part of what I was campaigning on was the fact that Scarborough is so often left behind. And then, of course, we got Gary Crawford still there and uh, Michael Thompson still
3: there,
2: which is fucking blows me away. Holy shit. You can do fucking anything as long as you're entrenched in the in Toronto politics, I guess. And they'll just let you right back in. Well, this is
1: where Shelly Carroll being the new head of the new chair of economic development can be an opportunity because Shelly's done the participatory budgeting before. I would love to, I would love if us as communities would nudge Shelly to giving us more money because Shelly is reasonable and she's done it before. And I really think if like we can get a taste of like having to source contractors, having to like work as a community to spend money,
2: we can really just start moving faster. And that's what I meant. That sort of sounds like, that sort of sounds like the stuff that you want to do uh, under your charity as well. Like the triumph over trauma stuff. Yes. Getting uh, funds for TCHC repairs and stuff like that.
0: Yes. That's, that's part of it that I want to do. I've I've stumbled and hit a couple of roadblocks. Um, but uh, we're working through it. Um, it's, it's, the problem is it's being done at a snail's pace. Cause I don't have a lot of time to, um, to give to it uh, between work mm. and, and the podcast. I'm, I'm actually pretty busy, not to mention I have three kids. Um,
1: well, this is where like, I think my job is to connect you to like some students that want to manufacture goods and you have an idea of where these goods could go. And that's mm. what's, that's, what's really missing. From us forcing politicians to do stuff. It's just like we're all too busy and too tired. But it's like if we can pick one Sunday to just do a citywide bullying, like I'm sorry, I don't have the right word for this a citywide rallying. It's the correct word.
2: <laughs> no, I, I preferred bullying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah,
1: that's the thing. It's just like I can imagine that there's like young people that could be building the goods that you need for your project. And all you would need to do is to pay them for it. The problem is, is that there's no city of Toronto hub to create a community of practice. And yeah, I'm just trying to figure out like, what does that look like? Like, do I have to build a new Twitter and get all of Toronto on it to be like, <laughs> yeah, guys, we're getting robbed and I'm sick of us getting robbed. We need to rob them back. But like, yeah, it's, it's very hard to know because I'll... I'll be honest, like when I was young, there was a site called T.Wire and it was a local forum for just people in Toronto and you could post stuff there. It was like Reddit. We don't have a Reddit. You know what I mean? We need a place where all of us can pitch our projects and be like looking for someone to go half on a grant application. Or maybe, you, to operations. maybe
0: you can buy Wire.
1: I don't, I don't have website buying money anymore. I've oh. done my accounting. I have to return <laughs> donations. When you do something cheap, you have to return the surplus. And I'm not gonna lie, returning that surplus hurt me. I'm just like, I could have done stupid things with this money. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh my god! But, isn't that the
2: goal? Just to have stupid money. Well, stupid money to me is like two thousand dollars. <laughs> it's not that, even two I, million. That like absolutely. Yeah. That would absolutely be stupid money. I'd love that.
1: And that's, that's the thing. It's like We can make low-cost solutions and get things done, but it's like, I'm tired and I'm busy. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. We need, like, a playground for adults where it's like we go and do
2: virtuous scheming.
1: Just like, yeah, meet me at this park. We'll scheme on some good stuff.
2: Oh, God. The scheming park.
1: Fuck. Yeah, a park for scheming, like, virtuous scheming adults or something like that because CS, like the center for social innovation the hot desk is expensive you know
0: well this has been amazing um but before we go phil do we have a guest lined up for next week
2: uh i do need to talk to him again to be sure um so we won't I've announce it talking then. to okay yeah, yeah that's fair uh i'm gonna send him a message tonight just to to double check see if he's still interested so yeah mystery mystery guest
0: so we we to our <laughs> listeners we may or may not have a guest next week
2: <laughs> <laughs> i feel pretty i feel i feel pretty confident that i will i will get him. it's it's fine i think we're good you guys should
1: invite more neighbors if you need some more controversy
2: we're,
0: we're, listen we're willing to yeah. have anyone on even people we've eviscerated i like i doubt blake acton would come on but i'd welcome him on
2: Chloe, open call out. I do want you, to, Chloe. I want you to know that you very silently spoiled who this person is. I'm so sorry. Oh no, no! I I actually think it's incredible that you said that. <laughs> I didn't say who from, but but yeah, you. uh That's so funny. <laughs> Um, this, I de- i'm so sorry like, like this is sorry, just when i say case. when i say spoil i don't i don't mean that in a bad way like you ruined something oh, no. oh yeah i just mean <laughs> hilariously you called it
0: <laughs> we'd even love to have uh Again. sitting counselors on if we could get shelly carroll amber morley you know um lily chang Alejandro Ooh. bravo anybody anyone anyone that I, that i didn't even name
1: I would suggest Paul Ainsley. He's been appointed as the nightmare.
0: Oh, really?
2: Oh, I love that. I love that title. It's rule. Really so ho- cool. I, re-
0: also- I really hope I really hope he didn't see my live YouTube address. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
2: I do think, well, hey, I think I, I we should be fine. We'll pretend it didn't happen. He won't ask us any questions. I feel like Paul might be receptive to it though. Even... Paul Ainsley's got some really great insights into um UX.
1: He was sat on the C board licensing and now okay. he's the nightmare of the night economy. So, even even someone yeah. even someone
0: like Nick Kosovan.
2: Uh I'm not crazy about it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I respect everyone's just... right to exist. <laughs> No, I mean I think it would be great even to talk to people who I don't I don't hate the guy to be clear. I just I disagree with his positions.
0: That's fine. Let's
2: say I,
0: I listen, I, I don't support I don't support Gil either. And I, I told him that. He's like, Why why not Gil? And I'm like, I'll tell you exactly why not Gil. It has nothing to do with the fact that I was endorsing Chloe. It has to do with the I, I gave him reasons. I said I said if Gil wins the election, we meet the real Gil Penelosa the day after. I said, and not to mention his wow. 880 cities. That means he's had a, a part in reshaping all these other cities, which means in four years, he'll be in a different city running for mayor. And then I finished it off with his dig about Rob Ford, comparing him to a donkey. I, that, that, because I live in Ford Nation, yeah. that was offensive to me. Like Rob Ford's one of the reasons I, <laughs> I love politics I watched him ever since he got elected as the Ward 2 counselor in the early 2000s. That's when I start. Well, I mean, Chloe. Like, like Chloe, I was paying attention to uh, south of the border with the Monica Lewinsky thing. But uh, locally, I didn't start paying attention until uh, like until Rob Ford.
1: It's, it's funny that you say that because I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like, I got into politics because he knocked over Pam McConnell, who was my mentor. And I was like, is this the WWE? Because if it is, I'm in. <laughs> I was going to be a physiotherapist before this, but wow,
2: politics, man. It's so, drama. So Chloe, before, um I just wanted to say that all the stuff Matt just said about Gil, he said immediately after I told him, my very positive grandfatherly experience with Gil Penalosa so it's very funny <laughs> he actually lives across the street from me
1: funnily enough oh, so like during the campaign we'd see each other in the coffee shop and it's like oh hey Gil hey Gil <laughs> you know what I mean and he's don't get me wrong <laughs> great advocate for parks but like As soon as he said he was turning Billy Bishop into a park, I was just like, so my fate is that I'm going to live in a luxurious park and I'll be an urban camper. He has a, he has a focus, a very specific focus. Absolutely. But yeah, guys, I'm going to let you go home to your children (laughs) because I, I only have a dog. Time is nothing to me.
2: (laughs) I have, uh, I
1: do. I feel like that quote should
2: be more powerful. (laughs) Time means nothing to me. Chloe Brown boilerplate. <laughs> yeah. Right, that's so, fine.
0: so if you want to, uh, you, you can go if you like, and then uh, Phil and I are just going to wrap up the show. And again, thank you so much for, for coming on. I love it. You know, I wanted, I wanted you on the first episode, but I'm like, no, the first episode should probably be me and Phil to like establish our new podcast and kind of separate it from this time in history. Uh, and and let that go back to being about history and other stuff and and this is going to be about politics this is where we're going to hold john tory's feet to the fire and we're going to hold him accountable or we're gonna we're gonna die trying
1: or we'll just (laughs) rewrite his history you know
0: right (laughs) so thank you again for coming on and uh you know anytime you want to uh pop on in the future we'd love to have you it's an open door policy here
1: Thank you guys oh, yeah. so much. Uh, look forward to seeing you in real life. Make sure that you have a tourist. So <laughs> <laughs>
3: absolutely,
0: but
1: that's right. in other words, have a great night guys. And I will see you somewhere in this crazy city.
0: Awesome. Thanks.
1: Bye. Wow. Oh, yeah, that ruled. Uh,
0: you know what? To our listeners, we're building something here. Um, this is a ride Phil and I are on. We're not going to get off anytime soon. Uh, we're going to say excited. some. We're going to say some shit that offends people. That's that's inevitable. You know. Hopefully this guy's whoever this is. I can pronounce his name because you know we fuck up names here.
2: <laughs> oh no! It, it not a problem. Very easy name.
0: But I guess until next time, Phil. If there's anything else you want to add before we get off here.
2: It was very exciting to get a chance to talk to Chloe. Um, I know you did an interview with her. And as I told you, I didn't get a chance to speak with her until now. And God, what a what a superstar. I, I think I might say that about too many people, but, but she is a superstar.
0: She's an absolute breath of fresh air. But anyway, uh, to our listeners, thank you for listening. Again, we're going to be on every Wednesday. By the time you hear this, it is Wednesday, um, starting from 6 a.m. Please... If you guys want to support us, listen to Cruising with Phil with our for, well, uh, with our buddy, Phil DeCruz. Um, Listen to my other podcast, This Time in History. It drops every Friday, everywhere you find podcasts, except Apple. Fuck Apple. And that's with my co-host, <laughs> Ebony. Fair. Yeah. Uh, I believe this week we are going to be doing, you're in for a treat. This week we are doing the roundtable on the Titanic. So don't miss that. Oh,
2: hell yeah.
0: But anyway, for, for Phil, I want to, on behalf of Phil and myself, I want to just say thank you for, for tuning in. We really uh, loved having you.